Welcome to the Mixtape Diaries, where three regular guys joined by 35 years of friendship, their love for rock and roll, build playlists song by song, episode by episode, to infinity and beyond. Hey, we're back, everybody. Episode four. It's been a while. Glad to have you with us for some announcements. Get them out of the way before we get into the meat of this thing. First, we do have the Twitter feed, at MT Diaries. Some of you have followed already. Catch the wave. While you still can, we've got a lot of promos, a lot of giveaways people have been getting. And if you haven't Ooh. gotten them, it's because you haven't followed. Giveaways? I, where's my giveaway? Yeah, I didn't even know we had giveaways. <laughs> well, tons, tons of giveaways. Tons of giveaways. And we've so also got, of course, the playlist itself over on Spotify. Just search for Mixtape Diaries, the podcast. You'll find it there. Follow it. Get all the latest uh, right when it happens. And subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. That's important, too. If you don't like it, tell your enemies. We just want more listeners. We want to get rich from this. Yeah, I'm trying to retire. <laughs> I just want free concert tickets. Yeah. Can we do that? Fair enough. So this week's episode so far has been the most difficult one that we've done. So we're choosing yeah, songs from, from uh, soundtracks. Yeah, somehow Brad just picked three songs and nailed it down. Mark and I found this extremely difficult. So Set I... it and forget it. <laughs> Ronco Peel, man. So hopefully you guys will kind of see where we were coming from with this. It was tricky deciding were they going to be songs from movies, movies with songs that we liked. So uh, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think you guys will enjoy the songs that we've got this time. So I'm going to kick us off. And uh, yeah, I'm with Meister here. I, I don't know how Brad just like picked three songs. He had his three songs picked after the last episode because he wanted dibs on a particular one, which I won't give up right now. But this was by far the most difficult episode to select songs on because the possibilities are endless and endless and endless. But it was so fun. It was actually, to me, the, the most fun we've had, or at least I've had, because obviously, as you're thinking about, and to clarify, I think we really kind of did land on favorite songs from movies. We'll probably unpack an entire episode in the future on favorite soundtracks and songs that might appear on those. But for this one, the requisite wasn't that the song actually had to be on a soundtrack. It was just had to be in the movie. And uh, whew, it was a doozy to pick. Hopefully you like these. I'm going to kick us off with Good Times, uh, which appeared in the movie The Lost Boys. And this was a song by In Excess and Jimmy Barnes. Man, I love this song. I don't know how you guys feel about this song, but I, I just, I, I freaking love this song. It had been years. I remember we were chasing everything in excess at the time, right? I, this was probably, what, mid-80s? 1987. Yeah. 1987, yeah. And the question was, do you drop the whole 15 bucks on the soundtrack so that you can get the In Excess song? And I, we did. We sure did. And the thing that's crazy, especially about NXS, is every once in a while it'll pop up. I'll have music playing just on shuffle, and an NXS song will pop up, and it's like, why am I not listening to this more? So as soon as Mark popped up this song, it's like, yeah, okay, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, I think the dinger to NXS is like after uh, the tragic death of Michael, they disbanded for a while, and then they just did that horrible star search <laughs> for a new lead singer that left you with a bad taste on in excess but up until michael's passing they were forced to be reckoned with as far oh, as totally. fans are concerns and and i know like when we always talk you know and you guys think about me and like my obsession with the cure and oasis in particular what goes lost is how 
obsessed I was with In Excess really prior to that. I mean, they were my first official concert. When I say official, like on the record, I snuck out to see Bon Jovi and Cinderella at the Coliseum, which my parents probably are just finding out now if they're listening <laughs> to this podcast. But my folks took me to see In Excess twice as birthday presents. The first time was at the Coliseum with PIL opening up. And then the second time was the Calling All Nations tour, which we saw at Blossom. But my dad got us like box seats and Ziggy Marley opened up. I remember you with the Devil Inside t-shirt at school. I still have I it. not gone. I was jealous. I still, I yeah. still have it. I can still fit in it. It is one of my prized possessions. It's that lime green. Like, yeah. 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 Anyway. <laughs> but this song, easily for me on here because of my, my love for In Excess, but also my love for this movie. Just the time at which it came out. Cheesy or not, the Corys were just badass back at this in this time period. <laughs> and the movies were great. You know, you had this. You had License to Drive. I mean, you just had, like, all these great movies that they were in. And honestly, this movie has a lot of great movies. I mean, there's a fantastic cover of People Are Strange by Echo and the Bunnymen. Yep. That crazy song by Jared McMahon, who, like, who's that? But it's like, cry, little sister, thou shall not. Anyway, there's just so many good songs. Note for um, editing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to get edited out. Uh, 649. No way, no way yeah. that's, that's totally yeah. in there. <laughs> And then even Lost in the Shadows by Lou Graham. I mean, there's just so many good songs on this, but for me, this is a great one. actually uh, a cover that that in excess in, in Jimmy Barnes did and Jimmy Barnes is not well known at all here on this side of the globe but he was a big deal in Australia in excess and Jimmy were close friends Michael and him especially and so they they decided to partner up on this song for the soundtrack but it was a cover by the Easy Beats which was a 60s rock band from Australia we'll throw the original version on the Twitter feed because it's it's fun to listen to in, in contrast to this it, this is a classic scene in the movie kind of towards the end of the movie when Michael and Sam are in like the dark downstairs and one of the vampire dudes with the one with the long dark hair tries to take them out and he gets killed. Death, Death by stereo, stereo, I believe was the classic line there when Good Times was playing on the stereo before all of it blew up. So nice. anyway, that was my first song. Did you guys like this movie? It still holds up today. It's part of our Halloween playlist of movies when nice. we, we get into it in October. I don't know if I ever saw the whole thing. I probably haven't seen it since probably the 90s. So mm. it was a good re- revisit. Like, oh yeah. oh, yeah. How about that movie? Makes me sad that you guys haven't watched it <laughs> since the 90s. It's like a heavy rotation for me. <laughs> but you were big on the Corys. I was. I Don't... feel like you, you were a big follower of the Corys. <laughs> I feel like that's going to haunt me for life. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, I mean, hey, it was the 80s. The thing that's kind of funny about movies and music from that time, which I think is kind of what makes all of this stuff special to us anyway, is that it was so hard to follow all of our favorite celebrities and musicians and actors. You didn't have access to them the way that you do now through social media. 
So, you know, you'd have to wait and you'd get three or four paragraphs in a magazine about somebody and you'd have to kind of obsess about those three or four paragraphs that you got and that was it. We weren't getting a hundred pictures a day from our favorite musicians like we get now. So Right. Mark had to wait for Tiger Beat to come. <laughs> well, it month. would be things like so that, that. Yeah. He could learn what Corey Feldman was up to right. when he was dating. <laughs> And you'd get oh. one picture, you know, you'd get them in their members only jacket and you were like, yeah, okay, I'm going to totally go get that jacket now. I will neither confirm nor deny my <laughs> subscription to Tiger Beat. But <laughs> I mean, to me, this is kind of embodies this episode. I don't know, you know, Newell cried on the last episode and I, I promise I'm not going to cry here, but there's a, a large sense of nostalgia for me. Totally. When I think about movies and music right. and fashion, you know, especially at this time in our lives or our awkward teen stage, trying to figure out who you are, what you're, what you are, what are your likes and dislikes. And I think movies were so aspirational. You know, you got influenced in so many ways. And I think that's what's really cool about movie soundtracks, songs in movies is, you know, there's a lot of music I've discovered through watching a movie right. and ultimately gone and searched it out. And it's certainly a lot easier now when you can just shazam it or look it up. But in, you know, again, it goes back to some of the previous conversations we've had, which is, you know, we had to really dig around and right. do it. And we got influenced from fashion. And for me at the time, you know, going through having a split family and there's a, a sense of awkwardness and alone for me. Like I really used movies and music to kind of get lost in. And for me, that's where there's just so much connection to these because it just takes me back to to what was going on at the time. And it was comforting, I guess, for lack of a better. Well, and I think certainly when you look at the soundtracks from movies from probably like the late 70s, all through the 80s, and probably the beginning of the 90s, the songs that were included on soundtracks were totally a marketing deal. And that was a way to expose people to those songs because you didn't have... Uh, these were songs that maybe didn't get a lot of radio play and things like that. So Lost Boys, I think, is a perfect example of, without a doubt, marketing people paying money to get their songs on a soundtrack to a movie that they knew was going to make a ton of money and it was going to be popular with teenage kids. And so I think it's a perfect example of that. Or the flip of it, right? Which was that there's a band you liked and they would make a song specifically for the soundtrack. Yeah. And then you had to go buy the soundtrack, right? right. So the Echo and the Bunny Men song, you couldn't get it anywhere else. Right. You had to go buy the right. Lost Boys soundtrack. Nine Inch Nails playing Dead Souls, like right. that was The Crow. You had to go by The Crow soundtrack if you wanted that. <laughs> right. So that was another angle, right? It worked in both directions. Yeah. It could get you into a band or it could make you plunk down for basically an LP to get tracks that you couldn't get. Right, around. a $15 single. Yeah, yeah, essentially, because right. for those of you youngins listening, with not hacking on you by any stretch, but like we didn't have the option to just buy one track <laughs> right. off the album on iTunes. We had to like go all in on the soundtrack, which like Newell said, you were drop in 15 to 17 bucks so you could have good times by in excess. What's next? What's next? My next one is Within Reach by The Replacements. Any guess what this movie was on? I don't have my list right in front of me. I don't remember. Uh, I know you told us. Say Anything. Oh, yeah, that's right. Good grief. Yeah. 1989 Cameron Crowe film, which obviously everybody 
is quite familiar with classic Ioni Sky John Cusack right. film and people are like what the hell why didn't you pick the Peter Gabriel song that's like the most iconic exactly it's the most iconic but, but we're better than that we are better <laughs> right. than that we're, we don't we challenge deep you. cuts here deep cuts we deep always deep cuts and <laughs> when we're talking essentials so Within Reach was actually off of the replacement's second studio album, Hootenanny, released in 83, and probably my favorite replacements album also. You can't talk about music and the intersection of music and movies without talking about Cameron Crowe. And for me, this movie is one of my top 10 movies of all time. And Cameron Crowe is one of my favorite directors of all time because of his absolute ninja status of merging music and movies together. You know, Crowe used to write for uh, Rolling Stone magazine, and then he went on to do Fast Times, obviously Say Anything, Singles, Almost Famous, Elizabethtown, Aloha. I mean, the list goes on and on. And his talent for selecting music and movies is just, I don't think anybody does it better. Yeah, I think you've hit that right on the head. So while the Say Anything, you know, that most iconic scene is, you know, obviously Lloyd Dobler holding the ghetto blaster up above his head, playing in your eyes to Diane Court in her bedroom. I went with this song because it's just a good song. I mean, it's a great song and I love the scene. It's when he got the girl, he's moving to London with her for the summer for her her whatever her internship or whatever she got and the whole movie he wants to play all this really great music and this movie has amazing music in it by the way it's it's just got a ton of great stuff in your eyes obviously it's got red hot chili peppers in it. it's got a living color stripped by depeche modes in the background at the one party he was always getting in trouble for turning the music up beyond the remember the red line on the stereo <laughs> and so his sister in the movie and his real sister in real life was always like not above the red line and so this is when he was packing up in the apartment to head to the airport to to go to england and this was playing on in the background and it was in a pretty emotional scene you know as he's getting ready to leave and his little nephew's there he just cranks it up above the red line as he walks out and you know it's just kind of classic john cusack moment <laughs> Without so much, can you die without it? Live without your touch, I die within your That's always kind of rung true with me, and, and the song itself is just a great, a great song. Do you always turn the music up way too loud when you leave a room? Yeah, funny enough, I do. <laughs> and it, like now that, now that you say it, I'm like, when this song is playing, I always crank it up I'm and leave. A, I'm room, out of here. So. Watch this. Yeah. Cool. I, I had a roommate in college. You met this guy, Ken. Yeah, I think Mark did. Was Ken was Ken the guy that used to headbutt the lamppost? The lamppost, yeah. Okay. So he yeah. would set his he had this fantastic speaker system and he'd set it up in the window and he'd blast it out the window and he'd leave and he'd go to the eating club. Yeah. And he'd say, Well, I just want to hear it while I walk. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> So you know me, right? I, I, I've been wearing headphones for the past like 40 yeah. years, but he would just be, he'd be listening to Tool and they would have weddings <laughs> at like the president's house, which was like 300 yards away yeah. on a Saturday. And he'd be blasting Tool out of the window <laughs> as he was walking to lunch. That's awesome. I love, I love Tool. All about the red line. Yeah. So Mark, what's your third selection? 
Third selection, and this is another one where people are like, well, yeah, this has to be discussed if we're talking about music and movies. It's from the movie Pretty in Pink. So I think another absolute classic of a film, another classic director, John Hughes, which when you think about all the movies he's done and the music that appears in those films in itself, that's a whole episode that we could unpack for hours on end. And again, Pretty in Pink, if we were talking about top 10 soundtracks of all time, it's the number one soundtrack. Right? It might be. I think it, I think it might be. I guess it depends what circle you roll yeah. in. For us, it's got to be right up there, right? It, I, I can't think of anything else better. The whole thing, like top to bottom. If You Leave, OMD, Psychedelic First, Pretty in Pink, Round and Round, Bring on the Dancing Horses, Do What You Do, Shell Shock. Shell shock. I mean, Please, Please, Please right. by the Smiths. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. However, I picked none of those songs to discuss today. <laughs> I picked a song Mr. that did deep not... deep cut again. I know, deep cut, going obscure. <laughs> I picked a song that appeared in the movie from a, a not-so-well-known band called The Rave Ups, and I picked the song Positively Lost Me. These guys were a band that formed in the, I think, 79, but prominently kind of around in the 80s, actually from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, of all places, but relocated to L.A. And the way they got hooked into John Hughes and into this movie was actually via Molly Ringwald, who befriended these guys after meeting them through her sister at an L.A. music scene. The Rave Ups actually appeared for the first time in 16 Candles, not in any sort of musical way, but Molly Ringwald's spiral notebook had them scratched in on the cover. It said the Rave Ups on the cover of her notebook. And you remember how he used to do that? Like, yeah. Shit, kids today probably don't know that, but that was like a huge badge of honor, right? What you wrote or scratched in or had stickered on your spiral notebooks. Yeah. Or your book covers on book your covers, books, yeah. And your mom would put the paper grocery bags on yeah. them and then you'd <laughs> scrawl on them. The cure. And you'd try to make it look like the logo, you know? I had like the OMD Pacific Age logo etched into my physics book cover or whatever. <laughs> you want to talk about marketing, what you stand for. It was like so critical. I don't know what you put on those book covers or on your notebooks was like huge right. deal. So yeah. So anyway, uh, that's when they first appeared and then they actually show up on Pretty in Pink and they're the band that's playing in that uh, little Cedars Lounge-esque <laughs> nice. club that they go to, um, you know, where Andrew Dice Clay is the bouncer and Ducky's trying to get in the whole movie. And then he finally gets in kind of towards the mid to end of the movie because he's been kind of replaced by Blaine. <laughs> I don't want to go too far off the rails here, but that movie was going along just fine until the end where they just drop in a woman to pick up Ducky at the end, right? Ducky's alone, Ducky's standing there, and suddenly there's they just give him a girl. Make yeah. everybody happy. I think it would have been That's, so much better to just leave on. him tortured and like, we <laughs> like, all know what like that's like. Like in real life. We were, yeah, in real life. Oh, give me hope. I call bullshit <laughs> right. on this. I've loved this girl for years and years and years. But, oh, there's another one. Great. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> right. Thanks. She right. likes me. Maybe when you're 16, that's just how it goes. Uh, probably, you know, yeah. So. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I picked this song because they're the band playing while they're at the club in the background. And I just kind of caught it. And I actually caught it later in life. I didn't really catch the song in the early years of playing this because I think we're all just so obsessed with the core songs from the soundtrack. But it's one that I just kind of happened to catch in the background. I'm like, man, that's so good. That's really catchy. And I did the recon to find out who it was and kind of got into this. But they play two songs in the movie on stage. This was the second of the two songs they play. And this is probably their best known single.
I just love it. It just reminds me of going to that kind of a scene when we were all going to the Cedars Lounge and the Penguin Pub, watching the Februaries and Figure Ground and that whole Youngstown scene of music. It just, for me, very nostalgic in the sense of what that environment looks like. I look at all the the well-curated outfits and and styles that are going on. And it was kind of misfit lounge where everybody had a safe place to go listen to the music they wanted to listen to and hang out with the people that accepted them for who they were. And so for me, that's, that's why this song is on here and why I picked this scene because it just resonated with me in a very poignant part of my life where again, I was kind of just trying to find out who I was and going to a club like that and hanging out with people that just accepted me for who I was and just supported the fact that I was kind of lost and trying to figure things out. It was, it's just comforting. Noel, like, did we ever accept him? Maybe not. I, I, I did. I, I accept Mark. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's get together offline and talk about when we did that. Cause I, Noel, Noel had to accept me cause I was giving him a he, ride he everywhere. Me around everywhere. I love that guy, man. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I just want to confirm <laughs> when and where he was accepted. Uh, as soon as I met Mark, I loved him. Okay. He's the best. Yeah. All right. Strictly for Uber services. Oh no, no, not at all. Although yeah. that was yeah. that was a nice perk. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. No. So I don't remember this song very well, or at least I I must have heard it if I watched the movie. But when you said it, I played it, liked it a, a lot. It's good stuff. It's a good listen. I love the intro. I'm sure I'm not doing. It. Again, there's a little bass line and guitar, and you class, you start hopping around like you can't yeah. kind of hop to it. Well, and those are three solid choices, and I think they really start to show that. When you get into some of these movies that have these really power-packed, it shows that the music is so integral to the movie, and uh, but the songs are all good on their own anyway. But it's definitely this artistic element that a director or an editor or whoever chose that particular song to put into a scene totally changes the meaning of that song for you forever just based on that movie. So that, I think so, those are three yeah. solid choices. Why don't we move on from me getting all nostalgic and, and teary-eyed and roll into to Newell's <laughs> selections here and keep the train going? What do, what do you say? Right on. So so two of my choices here are kind of interesting. Again, like Mark, maybe not the best song, so to speak, from that soundtrack, but they stuck with me the most. So the first one I'm going to go with is Steeler's Wheel. And stuck in the middle with you from <laughs> so, Reservoir Dogs. So good. This was on my short list. It's just so good. Whenever I hear this song, this song is in the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. It's been in a couple other movies, but it, all this song is to me is Michael Madsen <laughs> dancing around, getting ready to cut somebody's ear off. Yeah. Uh, that's all it is. And anytime I hear it, I can completely see that scene. 100% from that movie. And so it's funny whenever it pops up someplace else and they try to pack it into some other scene. Rehabilitate like, it, yeah. <laughs> you're right. It's like, no, man. It's Michael Madsen dancing around, getting ready to cut off some guy's ear. And this is and right. I, this is going to be a generational marker, right? Like, what do you think right. of when you hear that song? Do you think Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, okay. Because <laughs> we <Right>. don't. <laughs> right. I mean, I could be anywhere. You could be in an airport or something and you hear this song come on and you're like, oh, yeah, right on, man. I can totally see Mr. Blonde dancing around ready to cut this guy's ear off. So for me, it was one that just jumped out right off the bat.
it's a terrific song too. It's it's got this kind of Bob Dylan yeah. kind of feel to it, but it's bouncier. It's a little poppier, you know. Clowns right. to the left it's, and jokers to the right. If you just hear the song by itself, you're like, yeah, okay, this is kind of a catchy song. I could see why it would be a popular song. Once you see it hooked to that movie, it's changed forever. The conceit of the movie too, right? There was like a weekend where the radio station was playing all the '70s hits. Yeah, K. Billy's Super Sounds of the '70s. <laughs> That's what it was, right? Yeah, awesome. And it was Stephen Wright as the DJ. <laughs> yes. Here's Steeler's wheel <laughs> stuck in the middle. I mean, all of that stuff interjected in the movie is so incredible. Plus, I feel like the first time we watched that movie, we were all looking at each other like. I don't even understand what's happening. Well, it, was, it was our introduction to Quentin Tarantino movies. I mean, look what happened from there. Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. Right. Again, here's another one that, you know, we talk about John Hughes films. We talk about Cameron Coe films. But man, Quentin Tarantino's attention to detail, obviously, in filmmaking is there. But, you know, the music is so just meticulously thought out. And so of the times, it's really hard, you know, again, you know, why this exercise was so hard. This episode was like, right. you know, there's like, for Tarantino movies alone that we could have selected songs from. So I'm glad one of us went here. It, it definitely was on my short list. <laughs> Son of the Preacher Man, probably there too. Mizirlu. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there were so many that it, it could have been. But definitely for me, that's the one that stands out. So my next song is going to be from a Wes Anderson movie. So here we go to another director that music plays such a huge part in all of his movies this so episode's so fun it's, i mean i'm just like giddy over here and i haven't had any alcohol you know like this is just really fun <laughs> so the movie's rushmore again so i could have picked so many different songs off of the soundtrack it's a crazy soundtrack couple cat stevens songs i mean there's just a, a whole bunch of stuff on there but the one that i'm gonna choose is ooh la la by faces it's really kind of the closing song for the movie where you've seen Max Fisher go through this crazy adventure <laughs> through this whole movie to get Margaret Yang and it closes here and like everything has come together for Max. It's a whole comedy of errors for Max through this whole movie and this is where it all comes together for him after this crazy stage play that he's put together where they've watched him like blow up things <laughs> on stage and set the place on fire and uh, I mean just uh, great I still think maybe it's Wes Anderson's best movie whoa whoa, um, I, whoa. <laughs> I think just because it's so masterfully put together Life Aquatic is is fantastic Royal Tenenbaums is great but his first Bottle movie Rock. Bottle Rocket I, I think is fantastic too but to me, Rushmore, when I saw it, it really struck a nerve with me and it really stuck with me. So yeah. I think it just has a special spot for me. So. For Grenade, I laughed at all his words. I thought he was a bitter man. He spoke of women's ways. The trap you'd and the use you before you even know. For love is blind. Let me ask you this. Yeah. I saved Latin. What did you ever do? <laughs> it's all of those classic lines. And I think one of the things that's funny now, too, is that uh, working at a school that 
in some regards could be considered a lot like Rushmore. It's kind of funny to see some of those things and then see the boys at school kind of do things that you know were going through the minds of guys like Max and all of his buddies there. So it's it just it totally sticks with me. The the enduring musical moment for me is when he comes out of the elevator, elevator in, the, in right. the waiter's outfit, and he's walking slow-mo, right? Which is the Tarantino <laughs> right. move. Like I sent you earlier today, little green bag from Reservoir Dogs, but the Dairy Girls right. are slow-moing down the steps. Right. He's doing that, but it's such a... It's a farcical thing. <laughs> well, and the thing that's funny too about the music that's playing in that scene is it, that's a Who song. Right. And that song is like 10 minutes long. And I swear to God, it's like four songs. Right. Like when you listen to it, it's all these different songs like mashed together. So quick one while he's uh, away. Yeah. Another one of those soundtracks that you could just keep going on and on and go, well, it should be this song or this song yeah. or this song. But I like that particular song because it is kind of the wrap up for for max and his story and i love that movie it's it's such a great uh, movie i love the link up i never thought about it for you and what you're doing for a living and kind of linking it that's (laughs) it's a great pick regardless but then as you're talking (laughs) here this morning i love the link up to kind of how you're kind of getting to observe (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know young lads of today kind of going through the (laughs) the modern version of this the last song that i've got here and I'm going to try to keep this story a little shorter. So my last song is Yesterday by the Beatles from the album Help. Help is kind of an interesting movie for the Beatles. I, I'm sorry. Just for just a second. I just want to yeah. jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. I had this totally backwards. <laughs> yeah. I thought you had picked Help from the movie Yesterday. <laughs> I was, okay, never mind. All right. Well, Strike that, so- reverse it. And so we'll, okay. insert rewind sound clip here. <laughs> so the thing that's interesting about the album Help is that it was written for the movie. And long story short, the reason why the Beatles wanted to make the movie Help is that they wanted a vacation. So they had concocted this crazy thing for them to basically go screw around for a month or so while they shot this movie to take a vacation which is totally insane in the first place that really they ended up working this whole time. I mean, for them, it was probably great to blow off some steam and then also make an album and make a movie at the same time. Oh, I thought we were talking about the movie, the help. Uh, (laughs) Oh, Oh, you're Uh, killing me. Okay. I mean, that's totally lost. (laughs) Oh man. You guys are killing me. Uh, (laughs) I, I mean, I'm like, wow, I didn't remember any songs with, you know, with, anyway, sorry, go. Right. You know. There aren't any Beatles songs, I think, Ca- in The Help. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the thing that's funny about the movie Help <laughs> is that it's a super obscure movie. I mean, really, unless you're a, probably a, a hardcore Beatles fan, have you ever even seen the movie? The thing that's interesting about the song Yesterday is that it does not appear in the movie. Hmm. Ah, another silence deep, there. Another deep cut. Is this, are we going to allow this? well so here's the thing that's funny about this song and i know one of you is not a big beatles fan is that little yeah let's make it clear right who's made that decision and i'm not gonna this might be a reason why we don't accept you (laughs) maybe and i'm not gonna give you a hard time about that because you can like what you like that's fine i don't know but here's the thing here's where it's gonna get a little interesting yesterday MTV picked it as the number one pop song of all time. 
Ah, see, so more silence here. What about that Four Non Blonde song? <laughs> so, Yesterday so is considered one of the best songs of all time. It's the most covered song of all time and the most recorded song of all time, which is insane that it doesn't appear in the movie. It was written while they were making the movie. And then it almost was never released as a song. So how about that? The the so-called best song in history almost never was released into the wild. Paul McCartney was writing the song while they were making the movie Help. And he would play it nonstop. It's credited as a Lennon-McCartney song, but it's all Paul McCartney. And the only Beatle that appears in the recording is Paul McCartney. So none of the other Beatles play on this single. And they only recorded it twice. So the single that we're all familiar with of yesterday is the second take of the song. They decided that that was good, and that was it. Why she had to go, I don't know, she wouldn't say. I said something. Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. So McCartney would play this song nonstop while they were making this movie, and the four of them would have great fun in making up new lyrics for the song. They didn't have lyrics. McCartney literally woke up in the middle of the night one night and had this melody stuck in his head. And he jumped up in the middle of the night and played it so that he wouldn't forget it. And then he didn't tell anybody about the song for almost a month because he thought that he must have stolen it from somebody because he had this song so vividly stuck in his head. So then they would all make up these funny lyrics. So this song really came about while they were making the movie Help. And then, again, he and John were trying to figure out lyrics for this song. And in the middle of the night, McCartney comes up with the lyrics for this song. And he calls up John and says, it's done. I finished this song. And so some people say that this song may have been the first crack in the Beatles starting to break up. Because it was a McCartney song. Lennon had almost nothing to do with it and that the record labels wanted to release this song as a single because they liked it. And the Beatles, as a group, decided that it was not a Beatles song and that they would not release it. And that if the record labels released it, it would be a McCartney song, and everybody would perceive that as the Beatles breaking up. So they shelved this song. Another artist actually recorded the song and released it as a single, before the Beatles, they just gave it to him, and it went nowhere. So then Help came out. You know, that album and movie were big successes. And then they needed a B-side for the Ringo song, Act Naturally. And they were like, what if we grab this recording of Paul doing Yesterday? Yeah, okay, great, whatever, we put it on there. It becomes the number one single in the world for nine weeks in a row. So the B-side to this album 
that of a song that nobody wanted released in the first place becomes the biggest song of the year. So the album that we have for help, the soundtrack that we have for help has this song on it, doesn't appear in the movie. It's a total throwaway, only two takes. And they decided, yeah, that's good enough. And it's considered maybe the best song in the world. How insane is that? That's a pretty great story. I think we're going to allow this. Yeah. I even enjoyed this story, even with my engineered tension of being a you know, <laughs> proclaimed Oasis fanatic, yet not really being a huge fan of the Beatles. And let's just be clear, I respect the Beatles, but I am <laughs> not like one of the... You don't have to love them. I'm not a lover of the Beatles. I respect what, where they came from and what they've done for music. John Lennon apparently had a lot of animosity about this song because once he went solo, he recorded a song that had lyrics in it that referred to a little obtusely yesterday (laughs) and that it was McCartney that sang the song and that he had nothing to do with it. And then later in that song made fun of McCartney's solo material. So it was definitely something that stuck with John Lennon for a long, long time that hear this song that arguably is maybe their their best song was John, John may have had a point there Paul wrote yesterday he also yeah. wrote silly love songs <laughs> still does right <laughs> still does <laughs> still 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 does and you, and every christmas right you hear from me about that, that horrible <laughs> simply having song simply so i don't know i thought that was kind of interesting it was not a song that would have made my my lists, but uh, I, I like the Beatles. And so when I started reading about this, I was like, well, if nothing else, I, I'm going to grab onto this one just because of the story about it. That's a fun choice. This is a good three. Thanks. I guess that leaves Brad. Close us out. <laughs> Now's the time. Let's, yeah, sure. let's, let's go. Let's do this. So we've circled around the doors a little bit. We talked about people are strange, right? We talked about Michael Hutchins, who almost played Jim Morrison in, in the, the Doors movie before they picked Val Kilmer. Um, my movie is Apocalypse Now, Francis Ford Coppola, 1979. So, so good. Yeah. And it's the end by The Doors, right? It's the opening of the movie, which I've watched probably four or five times as we've been kind of gearing up for this. I get on the elliptical and I watch it. You know, the movie opens with this song playing. Before you get into this, can we talk about how many incredible actors were in this movie? Holy smokes. Just lurking in the background, a lot of them, right? <laughs> Harrison Ford right. for like five minutes. <laughs> right. Lawrence Fishburne, Robert Lawrence Duvall, Fishburne. Dennis Hopper. I mean, it's it's, it's ridiculous. Coppola cycled through a bunch of different ideas about who he wanted to play Willard. Harvey Keitel, he had <laughs> oh, actually yeah. out there and yeah. then sent him home. Uh, that's insane. Um, because that, right. But the guy who played Papillon, Steve McQueen. Oh. He wanted Steve McQueen originally. Yeah. But he liked he liked Martin Sheen because he was just so introverted yeah. and brooding. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Well, it's a haunting movie. It's a haunting use of music throughout the movie. Coppola is probably one of those maybe first directors that really was just masterfully weaving music into his right. movies. Or at least that I'm aware of, probably. So, Right. If you want to go classical, you do Flight of the Valkyries. Right. That's the helicopters are coming in. So no um, surprise that Sophia would take on this talent down the road and start weaving, oh, well, ma- masterfully weaving, right. which maybe is a foreshadow. But anyway, <laughs> right, maybe. Let's, let's talk about this one, though. <laughs> let's talk about the doors. 
film opens with a shot of a tree line in the jungle and you you hear these slow-mo chopper blades first sound you hear nice soundtrack er. and then guitars because the, the end by the doors kind of starts very soft right and builds over the course of its 12 minutes to a climax and a it's sort of a chaotic ending but these guitars in the background they're just kind of eastern sounding kind of mystical and lilting I want to pause for a minute just to acknowledge Robbie Krieger, right? So when you think about the doors, it's always the organs that kind of jump out of the mix at you. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jim Morrison, but Robbie Krieger is one hell of a guitar player. Let's give him his props, right? And he carries this song, I, I, I think. Now the first spoken words in this movie are, you guys know them? No. Saigon, shit. That's <laughs> Martin Sheen as Captain Willard in the hotel. But actually the first words you hear in the movie are sung at the beginning of this movie, and, the, and those words are, this is the end. Oh, how about Which, that? How about that, right? Yeah. And that's Jim Morrison singing, this is the end. And the tree line we've been looking at just bursts into flames right. in that moment. Badass. The ensuing three, four, five minutes, you've got these images of the war that are kind of like cross-fading, like overlaid with Martin Sheen, who's lying on his bed in a hotel room, basically staring at the ceiling and disintegrating. Right. right. He's out of the war, but he's not out of the war. He wants to get back into it. He's looking up at the ceiling fan and he hears the chopper blades. Right. Very cool. I think Tarantino kind of borrows this in Reservoir Dogs when they hit the hand dryer in the men's room yeah. and it makes the jet engine sound. Yeah. Total homage, I think, at least to Coppola. Yeah. There's a point in this cross fading back and forth where this jungle fire appears over Martin Sheen's head like a tongue of flame. Very cool. And of course, he's talking about how messed up his situation is with a voiceover. The song goes away, and then it comes back, that climactic part of the end, where everything's getting worked up, and Jim Morrison's getting worked up, yeah. and saying things that um, we're not going to repeat here. <laughs> and you see Martin Sheen, his underwear, right? Standard issue, tidy whities or tidy khakis. And he kung fu's a mirror, and it breaks, and he flips over the bed with a bloody hand, and he's drunk, and he's lying on the ground crying, right? All the children go insane. Just so masterfully done. Right. They had to like go through all kinds of hell to get this movie made. And the first 10 minutes alone make it worth it. It's one of those things, too, where you know that they probably had to spend days or weeks in editing to put that all together to make it match up right. with those points in the song. And, and especially right. to think about that being in the 70s, that would have been a non-trivial task. It would have taken a lot of work to do that kind of editing. Now you do it in a couple minutes on a computer and get everything lined up the way you want it. But for them right. to go through and splice film and put it all together and get it timed to a soundtrack just absolutely perfectly. What a, a huge amount of work and shows you the the love that was going to go into getting that song to play its part in the movie. And of course, a part of me wonders, because you, you hear about it, they made a whole movie about how cursed making this movie right. was. And I was like, well, maybe you shouldn't have had Martin Sheen smash a mirror in the beginning. <laughs> but who knows? That's just me talking. Did you know that the end, supposedly, it was the last song that Morrison heard the night he passed? Oh, really? Whether or not that's factual or not, I know that that's... Urban legend. Urban legend to that. A lot of interesting little factoids out there on this song, but I I love this song. 
it's probably it's one of my beautiful song it's, it's haunting my, it's really haunting this is the end yeah beautiful there's a big blue bus the big blue bus didn't make it into the movie yeah. kind of off point but but nice pick yeah. brad what's next so my next one is the crystals then he kissed me from goodfellas <laughs> this is another scene i've been watching on repeat for the last few weeks showed it to my daughter you know like i'm not a genius about filmmaking but i know when something's awesome right right and this scene is awesome <laughs> probably one of my favorite scenes of all time in the movies right this is the copacabana scene from goodfellas henry hill played by ray liotta is taking out karen lorraine bracco right, right. Now, they will eventually marry in this movie but this is their first date together and henry hill is of course i don't know maybe like a mid-level gangster Right? Probably at he's this point, money. yeah. He's making money. He's consequential in the city. And what's amazing about this scene is it's a single Steadicam shot, three minutes long. The guy's holding the Steadicam, and he's following them into the Copacabana, which doesn't, when I say that, doesn't sound all that important or meaningful. But the storytelling that happens along the way is terrific, right? So it starts with them out on the other side of the street. He's leaving his car in the street, which apparently at that time you just didn't do. That was a nonsensical thing to do. He hands a $20 bill to a guy and says, watch my car. And there's this massive line in front of the club. I actually went to the Copacabana once. I went to one of those like Tuesday salsa nights. Nice. Like my office yeah. in the late 90s. This is a very different time, right? This was like the most happening place in the city. Right. Lying around the block. He goes in the back door. He goes down these steps. And he's just walking by the people who are guarding the various entrances and he's giving them each $20 bills, right? And Karen's watching him. She's like, oh my God, like they're winding their way through the back. He's talking to all the employees. He knows them all. He goes through the kitchens and he ends up on the floor where all these people are wrangling, trying to get tables. And the mayor, D sees him and he says, he points to one of the bus boys, like get this guy a table right up front. And this table comes like soaring through the air, <laughs> right? And it lands like at the very front they sit down and Karen says to him, gosh, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm in construction. <laughs> she takes his hand and says, you don't feel like you're in construction. He says he's a union delegate. And the moment he says that, there's a rim shot from the house band, yeah. right? So that's perfectly done. But the rim shot's because Henny Youngman just took the stage, right? So this is all one shot. But playing in the background is this song, Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals. So this is a 1963 Phil Spector produced classic kind of wall of sound I'm a sucker for this music. These 60s pop songs yeah. with the women singers. Give me Petula Clark, Sandy Shaw, Dusty Springfield, <laughs> Dionne Warwick, the proto Blondies, right. the proto Saint Etienne's. I mean, this one hits me like right in the chest. I love this song. Yeah. And the song, of course, it's sung by this woman, this breathless woman talking about how this man comes up to her and asks her to dance, sweeps her off her feet, they fall in love, and then he kissed me. That's, of course, the chorus. And so that's happening. You're sort of seeing how Ray Liotta's putting on this show, right. right? And she's falling for it completely. She's just entranced by him and amazed by him as he's basically just bribing his way into the, right. <laughs> into the Copa. So I love this song. I always have. Of course, the guitar riff should be familiar to you guys. And I want to see what you say when I hum it to you. The guitar riff is... <laughs> what do you hear? You humming. <laughs> All right, strike one. Uh, I don't know. I know I can place uh, yeah. that, but... I hear that upturn at the end of Love Will Tear Us Apart. Oh, uh, maybe, Right yeah. before it ends. Uh, yeah, maybe. I actually went online to look this up. I was like, am I, am I the only person that hears this? And there's been some suggestion that, yeah, that not that they ripped it off of the crystals, but 
inspired. Inspired, yeah. That's awesome. been getting into a lot of the old italian lounge singers you know off of that thousand one albums oh, you yeah. should listen yeah. to and so we're in the 50s right now and we went, went down to a rabbit hole one night and started to read about scorsese and how he chose songs for movies and to him it was always about picking songs that really commented on the scene or the characters and like very oblique way he thought using like pop culture songs was as effective or as important as if they're writing a score for a movie he was using these songs as the score you know when you talk about the meaning of the lyrics and then you think about the scene and what's happening with karen and and henry hill like it's pretty amazing so i actually forgot about this song as well and it's it's really an enjoyable song to listen to yeah, gosh, I love this song too. Couldn't tell you where I first heard it, but now it will always make me think of the Copacabana and the very short time I was able to spend with Henry Hill and Karen. <laughs> it's cool that you've actually been there. Yeah. No, oh, it was fun. It was fun. You know, they had like the 78 piece band. It was like seeing Arcade Fire. <laughs> right. We all did the salsa, which we didn't know, but we just knew how to kind of jiggle our shoulders. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's still there. It was. It's out in Hell's Kitchen. It's like, you know, way out on the yeah. west side, kind of in the 40s. Like, did it look I like it did in the movie? No, I don't, I, I don't think it really did. Yeah. I don't remember the lights being low like that. And it wasn't like they had some main attraction. They just, it seemed like they had like a house band that was playing. Right. And I feel like they were bringing around, I don't know. I feel like they were bringing around hors d'oeuvres. It was targeted to the Latin community, right? It was, it was a salsa thing. Food was good. Liked it. Yeah. It was, it was a cool experience. Oh, that's awesome. I think sadly, every time I hear Copacabana, isn't it a Barry Manilow song? <laughs> it's an Copa, excellent Barry Manilow song. Copacabana. Oh, man. It's I a fairly it violent song. It, uh, it totally is, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I didn't remember that until I went back to it years later, and I was like, wow, like, there's yeah, this song's rough. dying in this song. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so your third song here, I kept trying to make it my third song. Yeah. Because you had picked this song, and then it must have subconsciously injected itself because I kept trying to pick this song and say, well, this will be my third song. And then you kept politely saying, yeah, no, that's my third song. I think we should just get it out since I got outed about Tiger Beat magazine <laughs> and my kind of lukewarm feelings around the Beatles. Brad picked this actually while we were recording the last episode. He like already Dibs. had, claimed it. he had claimed dibs it. on this, like probably before the concept of mixtape diaries ever existed. A bruisey <laughs> was like, I am picking this song for whenever we talk about movies. But you know, you can have this song, Brad, because this wouldn't have even been my pick because of my deep cut nature. I would have picked a completely different song, but you, you go, this is your turn. Fine, yeah. So Bob wanted it. Have and, your song. And I knew, I knew somebody was gonna want it and yeah. I had to claim it and I got it and I got there first and no one's gonna stop me from using this. <laughs> neener, neener, neener. So I got another Coppola here. We were hinting at this. Sophia Coppola, 1999, Lost in Translation, one of my all time favorite movies. And of course, it's going to be just like Honey, which is how the movie closes. Yeah. I don't know what it is about this movie that gets me. It just, it savages me every time I watch yeah. it. Yeah. Like, it's just like. It's, it's so like good. 
yeah. I'm like getting teary thinking about it. Yeah. What's amazing about it is that there's nothing obvious about it that that is going to have that effect on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's sort of funny, but it's not right. It's got Bill Murray in it, but not Madcap Bill Murray. It's just, it's the kind of old ride, sad Bill Murray. So it's not really funny. I think it's pretty sad, actually. Yeah, I think it is too. It's just got a kind of longing to it, right? He's a middle-aged actor shooting commercials in Tokyo. He meets Scarlett Johansson at the hotel bar. She's in town with her husband, who's a photographer who's working with and apparently infatuated with this kind of vapid Hollywood actress. And somehow they fall in together and they explore this city together. It's completely alien to them and strange. And I think that's part of what allows them to become so close so quickly was when there's nothing around you that you can relate to. And they also just seem very separated from the worlds that they're supposed to be in, their families, their spouses. So they grow close. They kind of share this, this sadness. They don't really talk about it a lot, but you feel it. And I guess that's it. It's not, there's not a lot that's told here, but you just feel it. It has a romanticism in it that's not conventional. It's not the hero saving the girl. It's not you complete me. Sorry, Cameron Crowe. <laughs> I'll come. And, and I, actually, I actually wrote this in my notes. So apparently I was already going to talk about this. It's the longing, this will never happen romanticism that John Hughes opened us up to before he messed everything up and had a girl show up for Ducky at the end. Of the <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's fitting that we land on this song as the closer after having talked about John Hughes films right. earlier in the episode. Right. This is great. I forgot that I had written those notes. I wrote these uh, like about a week ago. And I don't remember things from a week ago anymore. <laughs> That's too much to ask. So just like Honey, it's one of the best songs ever, just standing on its own. Right. Early Jesus and Mary Chain. I actually probably like mid-career Jesus and Mary Chain better. Like, I like the Automatic album a yeah. ton. Yeah. I like Honey's Dead slightly less. People are going to fault me for probably not liking Psycho Candy as much as I like Automatic. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, so this is Bobby Gillespie. Playing drums for Jesus and Mary Chain, uh -huh, not terribly that. well. Before he, oh yeah, if you look at the video for this, you'll see him in the back, right, just hitting the drums, boom, 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 <laughs> boom, which is about the extent of which I think he probably could play. <laughs> but then he goes off as drummers sometimes do, and comes up with a great band, yeah. right, which is Primal Scream. Love this song. Comes in at the end, right? Bill Murray's leaving. They've never really they've connected in this. They're like in this kind of soulful way, but they've. They never really hooked up, right. right? Which we don't necessarily need. He's leaving to go home. He's not able to give her a proper goodbye. There's just a bunch of people around. And he gets in his car to go to the airport, sees her in the street, and he tells the driver to stop. And he runs out, right? He hugs her in the street. And it's not a passionate embrace. He seems to be consoling her. He whispers something to her in her ear. It's inaudible. There are theories on the internet about what he whispers. Don't read them. They suck. Right. Only this make you sad. Yeah. And then, and then he kisses her on the lips. And they say goodbye and he walks away. And then he turns around and looks at her. And for the first time really in the movie, you see like a real smile on his face. It just like cracks right. open across his face. It's like the sun shining. And then that song kicks in. Yeah. to the girl as she takes on half the world 
which is really, I think, kind of speaks to what Scarlett Johansson's character is going through in the movie. And, and this movie's excellent for all the various shots of the city. Right. Right, really placing you in Tokyo, and you're, you're just watching as the car goes to the airport, and you're listening to the Jesus and Mary Jane, and it's perfect. Well, so and, one of the uh, things... And it's mine. It's mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all one right, of the things right. that's uh, interesting is when I was trying to steal this song away from you and make it my own song, and you couldn't have it anymore, I ran across an interview with Scarlett Johansson that she did just like a year or two ago on the Howard Stern Show. He was asking her specifically about making this movie and working with Bill Murray because it's Bill fucking Murray, right? And (laughs) so it was like, well, so what was that like? Well, so she was 17 years old when they made this movie. So think about that in the first place. Yeah. So she's super young. You could also look at it as she's underage, right? So now to have this kind of subject matter that she's working on with... Sophia Coppola, who obviously has some lineage there in her skills, and Bill Murray. So she was the outsider in this whole production. And to this day, she still doesn't know if they intentionally kind of kept her out of the loop so that it would come across on screen. Because Mm. she said all the time she would see all the rest of them off talking to the side, like doing their notes and things about a scene, and they wouldn't include her in that, and then they would shoot these scenes. And so it's not that she feels like she was excluded from the process of this movie, but maybe maybe she was. And to me, the thing that's crazy is that it certainly comes across in the entire movie. Uh, You just have a massive emotional response through the whole movie. The parts that are funny you think are funny. The parts that you think are sad are incredibly sad. And if you haven't become emotionally involved in this movie by the end of it, then you've totally missed what the point of this movie is about. And then to have that like sucker punch of a song right at the end, like wrap it up, it's like holy smoke. So I know that's why I was trying to steal this song away from you because it's like, what a definitive piece of a movie. And it practically rolls over the credits. I mean, I cry movies all the time. Right. I cry during Frozen. I cry through the laugh. I cry when Luke switches off his targeting computer and still hits the target. But this movie just hits me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Every time I see yeah. it, it's so masterfully done, every bit of it. Right. And you want to throw Just Like Honey at me at the end? Right. Sure. Right. Absolutely, you get to. I love this movie. It's one of my favorites. I travel to Japan often for work, or did before pandemic, but I always watch this movie before I go, (laughs) cheesily enough. Right. This is an emotional movie, and it's not a movie full of dialogue either, which I think is what makes it more beautiful. I mean, you know, the scenes in Japan and in Tokyo specifically, for many folks, I feel pretty blessed having been there several times. There is a romantic aura to Japan and to Tokyo and Sophia does such a tremendous job capturing those visuals in the film but the music she's just picked up where her father left off as far as kind of the mastery of weaving song into the storyline like a movie score I'm glad you regurgitated the lyrics Brad it's it's so poignant to the scene and those first three lines of that song really embody everything about what the journey for for her character was in the movie and the kind of the sending off to it 
It's just, it's, it's, a, it's beautifully it's, done. It, really it is. is. It still holds up today. It's still one of my favorites. For me, however, sometimes by my bloody Valentine would have been the song I would have selected from the <laughs> yeah. movie because I yeah, love it. Deep cut. Yeah. 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 Deep cut, but love that scene, and we'll probably talk about it on the B-Sides episode. The sense of all that shoegazy dream pop right. of My Bloody and of Jesus and Mary Chain, it just fits yeah. what's going on visually in the movie right. with all the lights of Tokyo. And right. I think we need to pause for a moment because we do have sponsors, so I need to kind of just fit this in. For relaxing times, make it <laughs> Centauri time. <laughs> okay, we can get back to the episode now. Do that with intensity. <laughs> You want Roger Moore or <laughs> Sean Connery <laughs> for relaxing times? Just a quick word, though, on Bill Murray, right? Who, yeah. you know, he did movies like Meatballs. He did movies like Stripes. Right. And I love all of those movies. And then he kind of transitioned into this character that was in Rushmore. Right. The character he is in this movie. National treasure, Bill Murray. S- Steve Z. Bill fucking Murray. Yeah. I know we don't want to get off topic too much, but have you guys seen that documentary on the urban legend that he randomly shows up at dinners and parties and things like that <laughs> and like that. participates yeah. and then disappears again? And it's this right. whole kind of yeah. subculture of Bill Murray, <laughs> yeah. like right. magic. Yeah, it's pretty brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that was a fantastic walk through movie music intersection today i feel like well so this episode is probably breaks from our norm in a couple different ways i mean we're looking at the timer right now as we're recording it but this is probably going to be one of our longer episodes because it's such an impossible subject matter to start to go through and pick songs because there are a million great movies there are a million great songs there are a million great soundtracks so i think one of the things that we've been kicking around here is that we're going to make kind of a b-side episode to go along with this episode where we'll just talk about the greatness of soundtracks complete soundtracks that are out there and songs that show up in movies we'll kind of get that recorded here shortly so that you can use that to hold you over between the amazingness of our podcast I mean, it's just teaser stuff, right? And you know, folks, like every great artist, you always have that double album and um, or the extended mix of Lord of the Rings, you know, where you can go the extra long non-movie theater version. So that's just what it's going to be because who, who wouldn't want to listen to us talk about music and movies and whatever else? So Non-stop just stick it, for like an hour and a half. Stick it out. Yeah, I said it. We're, we're getting arrogant in episode four. Deal with it. <laughs> I'm getting ready to sign autographs. We might just stay on. You yeah. can come in and out as they please. <laughs> right. Right? right. Just one long episode. Right. Wait till we just we all get our vaccine. We start live streaming the show, and then you can just listen to us like four or five hours at a time. Right. Well, hope you guys enjoy this. I, I really have fun doing this for all of you out there, and, and especially have fun doing it with these two clowns every week, and or every episode, I shouldn't say every week. We're trying to get weekly, but life's complexities right. kind of throw that in the way. But yeah, be well. So, yeah. Well, listen, engage with us. Yeah. Go on Twitter. Tell us what songs from movies mean something to you. Or yeah. uh, even what kind of, I mean, we have an extensive list already of ideas for future episodes, but maybe there's something that jumps Ooh. out to you too. So, I mean, you could even start to throw. Listener's choice <laughs> episode. I like where you're going, Meister. <laughs> right. You could even start to throw some of that stuff out there too, if, if that's something that interests you. Because I know there are what, like four or five of you out there that are listening right now. Yeah. So. Anyway, listen to music, watch movies. Have fun. 
Yeah, have fun. We're hopefully coming out of this a little bit, starting to feel a little bit more optimistic out there in the world. So um, hopefully we're we're uh, accelerating that feeling for you as we move forward. Dance like no one is watching. Love like you can't get hurt. Oh, wow, deep. Let's on that note. Deep. Yeah, you better stop recording because I might start crying again. <laughs> and then it's a long, and then this long pause and this episode gets even longer. <laughs> All right. All right. Peace out, guys. See you, Talk guys. You. Rock on.